Well, I'm sure you're wondering right now, why in the world is Brian in front of all of this road construction? Well, it's kind of creating a theme for what we're going to talk about today in our message. Welcome to Traverse City. You know, there's two main seasons here, they say. One is winter and then the other is road construction. And I believe the first road construction happened just uh, down the road from here. It's actually the road I take home, High Lake. And uh, they had all tore up. And what happened, um, typically a two and a half minute commute for me going home at a couple times ended up being 10 or 15 minutes. There's also some road construction, I believe over on Three Mile and on Garfield. And you know what's gonna happen over the next few months. It's gonna be tore up around here. And here's what road construction means to us, natives of this area. It means delays. It means changes. If you have your app up on your phone, it's probably gonna tell you a time or two, you know, recalculating. Hey, this thing is all gonna change. And you may have to change your route or change your direction. That's what road construction means for us around here. Well, I wanna tell you about a man. His name is the Apostle Paul. And in the book of Philippians, he had the ultimate recalculating or rerouting experience that came into his life. And there's a passage, Philippians 1, 12 through 14 that we're gonna focus on today, but verse 12 actually mentions to us a very important theme. And here's what it says. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it became clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So Paul mentions what happened to me has helped to cause the advancement of the gospel. So here's the big question, what happened to Paul? What, is, what are the circumstances that he's talking about that precede this book's writing? I'm going to tell you what it was. Paul, at this very point in time, was under house arrest. He was under the ultimate quarantine. He was tethered to a palace guard in his home. And how that was set up was he was in Jerusalem preaching and ended up by religious leaders was arrested and was put on a boat and sent to Rome for trial. And this happened actually two different times to the Apostle Paul. He was sent by boat to Rome where he was going to go under trial for preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. And so while all of that was happening on this boat ride to Rome, he actually was shipwrecked, ended up on an island, was bit by a poisonous snake, finally gets to Rome, he's renting a home, he's in that home, and he's tethered to a palace guard. And I'm not here saying I'm a, a, a prophet for how long our quarantine's gonna be, but he was under house arrest for two full years in that very state. He was not able to get out at all, and the only time he could see anybody from the outside was if they actually came to Rome and visited him there. Now that's quite the adjustment. If you think about it, all of his plans, his, his day timer, his travel log, 
All of his ministry ideals and thoughts all went out the window in a heartbeat. It's kind of like you and I right now. You know, how's your quarantine going? Your plans have been changed. Your day timer's been changed. Your travel log has changed. You know, our family was thinking about going to Florida back in April, and all of that just went out the window. You know, everything is changed in our time of quarantine. And for Paul, everything was changed for him in his time of house arrest. And I wonder how he went through it. I wonder what his focus was on God and on his circumstances. Well, that's exactly what we're going to talk about in Philippians chapter 1, 12 through 14. What was his focus on God? What was his focus on his circumstances? And how did it help him in his thoughts and moving through his time where everything was recalculating? Well, how about we leave this construction site and go back to the church? Let's talk about these things for a couple minutes together. Hey, that was a different taping experience. That's a first for me to tape in front of the road like that. Hey, um, it just helps us to remember, you know, we're in a day right now that our plans, our calendar, our job, our finances, the community events, what we're used to with church, you know, everything has changed. And so, just like Paul was faced with things changing for him, what was his focus? What did he look at? What made a difference in his life that he continued to move on and excel and succeed at the things God gave him to do? Well, that's where we put the car in park here in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. And I want to talk about this. There's an uncertainty to it all. And the first phrase I want us to think about is, you know, our plans change. God's purposes don't. Just remember that. Our plans change. God's purposes don't. And before we jump into verse 12, there's a word that's, that's used there that's also used in verse 22 of this chapter, and then a focus in verse 27. And here's what it is. Paul mentions, he says, you know, I don't know, in verse 22, I don't know really what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen if I live or if I die. I really don't know how that's going to turn out. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to see you again, he mentions to the people there in Philippi. I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to come and do it. He does end up saying, you know, I, I feel pretty confident. I sure hope so. I feel confident I'm going to come to you. But then in verse 27, he mentions whatever happens, whether I come and see you or whether I can't, whether I live or whether I die, I want you to focus on what matters most, and it's God's purpose. But Paul didn't know. Paul didn't know what was coming up. And here's the truth. We don't know what's coming up. We live in a day of uncertainty. Now, probably the most asked question I get right now is, Pastor, what's going to happen? You know, what's going to happen with the coronavirus? What's going to happen in our world? What's going to happen for our church? And I'm just going to be very plain and honest with you, I, I don't know. And you don't know. I mean, the truth is we're, we're all idiots on this thing. We really don't know exactly what's going to happen. And I want us to understand and realize not knowing 
is okay. And in fact, it might even be good for us to confess right now. If we were all in the auditorium, I would have us all repeat. Repeat after me, I don't know. So since we can't do that, how about you just grab your phone or your tablet or your computer. Let's just punch into the comments right here. and Everyone confess right now, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how this is going to work out for our economy. I don't know exactly what services will look like at church. Let's just confess. Put it right in there. Come on, confession's good for the soul. I don't know. Now, some of you are saying, hey, I think I do know because I read an article. Let me just tell you, you don't know. You know, some, some might say, I have a relative that's in government, so I know what's going to happen. I'm just here. No one knows. You know, my wife actually went to school with Governor Whitmer. She went to high school with Governor Whitmer. You may not even know that. So I asked my wife, so since she went to school with Governor Whitmer, what's going to happen? And she told me, I don't know. None of us know. We don't know how it's all going to work out. And for some, not knowing can be unsettling. It can be scary. This is a faith stage to go through the I don't know. You know, for Abraham, he went through an I don't know. God told him, I want you to get up out of this land where you live and I want you to go to a place I'm going to give you. But just get up, get all of your people, all of your belongings, all of your family, and move. He didn't know where he was going. God asked Abraham also, you know, you have one son, Isaac, and I want you to go and take him and sacrifice him. And Abraham didn't know what was going to happen. You know, there's a number of I don't knows in the Bible. You know, Noah was building the ark and God said, I'm going to destroy the world with a flood. But he didn't know exactly how it was going to happen. He didn't know what was going to happen. He just moved forward in that faith stage and did it. You know, Rahab didn't know what was going to happen to her when here in her peppered past, she went and hid the two spies away from those who wanted to catch them. She didn't know how it would turn out for her. And you think of the boy with the five loaves and two fish. He didn't know what, what Jesus was going to do with his lunch. There's all of these I don't knows. David didn't know when he grabbed those stones out of the brook what was exactly going to happen with Goliath. No one knows all of it apart from God. We don't know. And I know that not knowing can be unsettling. And Paul didn't know if he would live or if he would die, if he would go see the Philippian people again or not. And we don't know the plan. And I'm here to say it's okay to not know the plan. And plans can change. That's okay. Because the plan isn't the most important thing here. And that's what Paul's getting at. Don't live for a plan, live for a purpose. And that's where we're at in verse 12. Because here in verse 22, he mentions, I don't know. Verse 27, whatever happens. But there is something he did know in verse 12. So look at it with me if you would. What he did know is what happened to him served to advance the gospel. And he says, I want you to know. I want you to understand these are critical realities that we need to embrace. We don't know the plan. We don't know the future. Those things are uncertain. 
But what we do know is God's purpose. And he was locked into God's purpose. He knew God's purpose was to reach others with the gospel of Christ. And it was also to help those who are following Christ to grow and to be disciple makers. Paul was locked in on that. And however his plan changed, his purposes did not because they were God's purposes for him. And some people may be thinking, you know, my, my plan has changed. Well, if the plan changes, then flex what you're doing because God's purposes don't change. Whatever the plan is, if it changes, flex because God's purposes don't flex. They remain constant and, and we can't control how all of this is going to go. Some people are saying, man, if I could just get back to my plan, if I could just get back to what I had, I, I just want to get back to what's normal for me. And that's your whole focus. Well, if our plan or our normal is the only way for our life or God's purposes to function, then we're going to miss out on fulfilling his purpose when the plan changes. And for Paul, the plan wasn't worth dying for. He didn't give his life for a plan. He gave his life for a purpose. And the most God-focused, think about this, the most God-focused and the most gospel-advancing and centered thing we can do is to focus on fulfilling God's purpose. No matter what happens with our plans, and with life around us. The only reason why there's even a book of Philippians is because God screwed up Paul's plans, even back in Acts 16, and he was imprisoned the first time, and he connected with the people there at Philippi. Philippians exists because of God messing up Paul's plans, but he never altered the purpose. So remember that. Our plans change. How critical this is. Our plans change. God's purposes don't. Now I want you to think about a second phrase here from verses 12 through 14, and I really think this is going to unfold the whole thing for us. It's not what happens to me. It's what happens through me. It's not what happens to me, but what happens through me or what God does through me that really matters. Now think about this here with Paul. Here Paul is in house arrest, and this goes on for two years, and he's writing to the people in Philippi. And if you go through this entire book of Philippians, I'm gonna tell you, although he mentions, I believe, five times that he was in change or he was in prison, he never mentions even one sentence about what he was going through in prison. You know, there's no, you know, the food stinks, you know, or I'm tethered in my house to an idiot, you know. He doesn't mention any of that, or this is a mess. Pray that I can get out of this. I don't want this to happen to me. None of that happens. He's not focused in any way on what was happening to him. And contrast that, though, now with modern-day Facebook, where everyone is focused on how this is affecting them. You know, my hair and nails are a mess. You know, our vacation plans have been ruined. I'm tired of the food. Or some of you are saying, I'm just like Paul. I am tethered to an idiot in my home right now. You know, 
whatever is going on, some people may be saying this is horrible because Cherry Fest or the Film Fest have been canceled. And if you go through Philippians, you don't see any mention of his circumstances while in prison. In fact, if you do see something, he actually says, do all things without complaining or grumbling. And so really, Paul is mentioning, it's not what happens to me, but it's what happens through me. And here's his entire focus. It's not on the prison, but it was on the purpose and it was on what was happening through him. And notice in verse 12, this is what happened through him. He said, actually, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And and if you look at these words, to advance the gospel, it means to make headway despite severe blows. It's it's this idea of um, I am having progress despite persecution. I am advancing. Um, The surge is happening amidst suffering. And he says, all of this, whatever's happening to me, it doesn't really matter. What is happening through me is what matters, and the gospel is advancing. There is a surge. Despite all my plans being shattered, despite everything being stopped right here, and I am tethered in my home and not able to go to all of these locations, he mentions what really is important is that the gospel is surging. God is doing something dramatic. And so imagine him, here he's tethered to um, a guard with the palace guard and and that guard changes every so many hours and he gets a new individual in who watches him in house arrest. And so imagine this situation is going on and although Paul couldn't go all over the place now and preach the gospel, he realized his new mission field was the palace guard. And every new guy that cycled in, that was his new individual to mention the gospel to. And the text says, as a result of this event of his quarantine and his house arrest, as a result of that, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone that I am in chains for Christ. So it wasn't what was happening to him. It was what God was doing through him There was an advancement, there was a surge of the gospel, even though all of his plans were shelved. And he mentions that everyone through the whole Roman palace guard now knows why I'm here, and it's because of Jesus Christ. And they understand the gospel. So here's this this advancement that's happening because of his imprisonment. And then notice um, it continues down in verse 14. Not only is there an advancement of the gospel, but he mentions, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So not only did Paul's mission field expand, his mission's team expanded. And just think about that. He he wasn't concerned, get me out of prison, Look at all that's going on in my life. He was concerned. Look at what God is doing through this. The gospel is surging. We just have been able to connect with the whole palace guard. And then believers are being strengthened in their faith and becoming bolder 
to be disciple makers for Jesus Christ. All of that in the midst of what was happening to him. So Paul's imprisonment not only made more disciples, it made those disciples more confident disciple makers. And so here's a couple things I want to think about as we finish up. Sometimes the greatest productivity comes during the times that are not really that pretty. And we're in a not pretty time right now. It's not pretty for our economy. It's not pretty for our area. It's not pretty for events. You know, it's not what we're used to as a church. It's not pretty for our nation. It's not even pretty for our globe. But sometimes the greatest productivity comes during times that really aren't that attractive to us. When God takes all of our plans and all of ideas that we have and he puts them on hold or he squashes them entirely. And so what we need to focus on is not so much what happens to us, but what God wants to do through us. And it's not on the plan, it is on the purpose. Are you with me on this? Are we tracking together? You know, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know, you know, when things will crank up. I don't know when your kids will go to school. I I don't know if they'll be able to have a teacher in person. I don't know if the job will come back. I don't know how church will function as we get on the other side of this. I just don't know. But our confidence and our security doesn't come from our plan or our circumstances. What we can have confidence in, friends, is that we always have purpose with Jesus Christ. And he'll never, ever leave us or forsake us. We go through this with him and his purpose can advance no matter what is going on around us. So I want to give us two things. Stay committed to the purpose. Don't forget the purpose. Stay committed to the purpose. And the purposes that we've been talking about the last four weeks, follow Christ, be changed by Christ, be committed to the mission of Christ. And that mission is connecting with those who need to follow Jesus and then connecting even with followers to help them grow but be committed to the mission of Christ. Don't forget God's purposes. Make disciples and build the lives of those who are already following. Stay committed to God's purpose. And here's the second thing I want to finish with, is don't get distracted by what is happening around you. Don't get distracted by what's even happening to you. Sometimes that can divert our attention to what God wants to do through us in these situations. Just don't get distracted. Some of us might even need to to turn off the news or to watch very little of it. Just get enough to stay updated, but don't obsess in what is happening around us or happening to you. Focus on what is happening through you. Who can you connect with? Who can you love? Who can you invest in? Think about the pie square. Who can I pray for? and invest in and invite to Jesus Christ? Who can I encourage in their faith? What family can I help? Who needs me through this? What can God do through me 
rather than being distracted by what is happening to me. And here's the beauty of the whole thing. This is exactly what Jesus did for us. This is the absolute beauty of the gospel, that Jesus came to earth on purpose. He came to rescue us. He went to the cross and he suffered and bled and died for for you and for me to take our judgment and our penalty for our sin. And what God did through him means forgiveness, it means life, it means relationship with God, not just here on earth, but in heaven for eternity. And Jesus focused on the purpose and all that was done to him. It was what God did through him to reach those who would put their faith and trust in his death on the cross. That is exactly the ministry of Jesus Christ. He's not asking us to do anything different than what he himself did. So can we just take a moment, grab your phone, your iPad, your computer, whatever it is, can we just do a little one minute worship and adoration service of Jesus? And I just want you to fill in this. Let's comment together. Put it on there. Thank you, Jesus, for, and then just fill it in. Can we just do this? Let's get this thing rolling here in your comments or your chat. Thank you, Jesus, for, and it could be for dying for me or for forgiving me or for loving me or giving me hope, but thank you, Jesus, for, because he's the one, he went and did exactly what was needed. He fulfilled God's purpose and he wasn't focused on what happened to him, but what God did through him. That's the beauty of the gospel. So thank you, Jesus, for these things. And if you have never, ever come to embrace what Jesus has done for you at the cross, to leave your old life behind and embrace forgiveness, a new life because Jesus died for your sin on the cross. I just invite you, today is the day, man. Do it. Put your faith in Jesus. Embrace Jesus Christ. Realize that he died for you, for your sin, so you can be forgiven. And give your life to him. And then when that happens, and like the rest of us who have put our faith in Jesus, focus on God's purpose. Not on the events of today, but what he can do through us to reach those around us. So what I want to do here for a moment, as these comments are are winding down a little bit, thank you, Jesus, for, we're going to go and thank Jesus for the cross. We're going to thank him for his death for us. And we're going to remember that through communion together. So hopefully you have bread and juice with you. If not, I'm just going to give you a moment, send someone to the fridge or in the kitchen. But let's get this. Let's remember what Jesus has done for us. And remember that that fuels our purpose and our focus, not on getting back to what's safe or the the way that we've always had it in our life around us, but to remember that no matter what happens, God's purposes still can go forth. Let me pray for you, and then let's go ahead and celebrate communion together. So Father, 
we do say thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that he fulfilled the purpose that you had. And also thank you, God, that so much what happened through him means forgiveness and life and hope. Not just for here, but for eternity. Thank you, God, for Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would instill in us not a preoccupation with all of the events of today. God, not this thought process where we just beg and hope and plead that everything goes back to the way that it was. But God, that you would fuse in our mind a passion for your purpose no matter what you do with our plans, no matter what you do with our schedule or what you do with our world. May we lock into your purpose and to what you can do through us. And may, Father, we see on the end of this that what has happened actually has been for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I mentioned, let's take a moment and remember the death of Jesus Christ for us. I just want to encourage you, if, if you're a, a believer, if you do believe Jesus died on the cross for your sin, you've given your life to him, uh, it doesn't matter if you're a member of East Bay Calvary or it doesn't matter where you're at or what country you're at or what state you're in. Um, this is our opportunity as a family to say that we are grateful and thankful to Jesus for what he's done for us, for his sacrifice on the cross, and to, um, to celebrate his life and the forgiveness that we have through him. So if that's you, if you're part of God's family, wherever you're at, I invite you to celebrate with us. You know, if you don't know where you're at with Jesus Christ, you really are wondering if you, if you really have a relationship with him or you doubt what's going on, I want you to know that these elements do not get anyone to heaven. There's nothing that these will do for you except help us remember what Jesus has done for us. So the greatness is not in this. It's not in the juice or it's not in the bread. The real beauty is who it represents. It represents Jesus Christ. And that's who we remember today. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he told his disciples, this is my body which is broken for you. And how about we all together? He said then, take, eat of it in remembrance of me. And then after they had eaten bread, he took the cup. And this, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. And he said, drink of it. And as often as you do, drink it and remember me. So let's do that. And we do that every month here at East Bay Calvary. And not because of tradition, 
We do it because we never, ever want to lose our focus on the one that we're here to worship, and that's Jesus Christ. So my face is the last one you're going to see here today. And I just want to encourage you, don't let the events of this life distract you. Don't be thinking about what's happening to you. Think about what God is doing through you to reach others. And remember, we don't know the plan, but we do know God's purpose. And let's stick to it. I want you to know that pastors at East Bay Calvary, we pray for you, we think about you, we love you, we look forward to the day where we can all be together again. But until then, we look for you next Sunday right here at Church at Home. And remember that together we are ordinary people in everyday lives for real life disciple making. God bless you.